Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today, I am pleased to have Mark Gravely on as a guest. Mark, how you doing, man? Hey, Griffin. I'm fine. How are you doing? You know, doing well. This is the, the first episode after Thanksgiving here this year, so getting back into the groove of things. But uh, I know you've got a million things going on, and I'm excited to, to deep dive into your background and uh, really go into how facilities and construction professionals can uh, tackle the the big hurdle or, or overcome that hurdle of uh, any sort of litigation or, or law um, issues they come across. But before we do, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is you do? Thanks, Griffin. So I'm a, a lawyer and I have a national practice and we represent institutional owners uh, in the event that a building gets built and there's construction defects or they have a covered insurance loss, uh, big water damage or uh, a big hail loss, maybe a big fire. And we help them recover uh, all the money that they're due from their insurance company and not just some of the money they're due from their insurance company. And, you know, it's a pretty hyper niche area. Um, we're the only law firm of our kind. Uh, we only work on a contingency. So institutions like that, nonprofits like that, because we're budget neutral and it costs them nothing to hire some of the best experts in the nation. What what made you go towards the, this field? I mean, that, that to your point is very niche. I mean, that did you wake up one day and say, "Hey, this is the, the career path I want to <laughs> no, uh, go down"? No, no, I was biology in undergrad, and I've got a, a master's degree in biotechnology. But you know, when I got out of law school in the early '90s, uh, there weren't a whole lot of jobs, and I was able to be hired by a firm. I got very lucky, who uh, represented architects and engineers, design professionals. Uh, in malpractice cases. And I learned the uh, construction side from that. And the next firm I went to, uh, I represented uh, only general contractors. And so uh, I thought, and before that I had represented insurance companies. And so after that, what I realized is there's no law firms who really only represent owners, project owners, institutions, and you know, there's just none, no other around. And so I started my firm over 20 years ago uh, you know, nationwide practice. And uh, it's it's just really blown up. It's taken off because, you know, getting good advice from lawyers who are experts in their field, you know, the lawyers that we've got, everybody's an expert. Uh, and so, you know, no, I didn't dream of doing this, but uh, I saw an opening, uh, I saw a need and I tried to fill it. Um, and, you know, like I like to remind myself every every few years, I was right. So that's why I do what I do. That, that's incredible. And uh, as I was going, uh, or before we hit the record button, I was going through your profile and uh, checking out what recently was uh, an Amazon bestseller uh, that you just released here earlier this year. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And thanks for mentioning that. It's, uh, you know, it's about uh, American infrastructure and it's a playbook from ruins to renaissance. Uh, you know, I don't know that I'd write another book uh, that length. There's a thousand footnotes. It's fact-based but it talks about the different aspects of American infrastructure and, uh, and what needs to be done to fix and what some of the practical remedies may be. Uh, and it's a, I believe it's a bestseller in four categories on Amazon. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I saw that. So it was a, a pretty big undertaking, but thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, no, and I think that's a great resource. I mean, you mentioned all the footnotes and uh, the length. I'm sure that's a dense book uh, that a lot of good content to go through, and we've only got 25 minutes, so we'll let that uh, be up to the reader to go and, and check that out on Amazon. But um, yeah, that's incredible that you announced that uh, or released that here this year. And um, you know, I don't think that was your first book, if I'm not mistaken, right? There's some other eBooks on some of the practical uh, things that uh, facilities owners run into. Uh, we've got something called a construction quality audit. Uh, and I've actually got a couple more coming out next year. Uh, architect malpractice and engineering malpractice, two separate books. Uh, there's nothing out there like it. And, you know, it's something that I think facilities owners or facility owners, institutional owners can really learn a lot from. Uh, you know, nobody goes through college wanting to be a uh, facilities uh, construction lawyer or insurance lawyer. Uh, so uh, there's some pretty good information in them, and they're free to download. Uh, all the ebooks are free to download on the site. Well, that's great because I know there's a lot of people listening that they may have come across an issue that they just didn't even know where to begin. Uh, so having that those resources out there are great, and I'm going to have those in the, the footnotes of the episode. But uh, I think the important point here is that we've got the uh, the expert here, and I'm looking forward to diving into it. And so uh, with that, I think just giving it a quick overview uh, and and what someone could look at or evaluate in their own policies as they reflect on their portfolio, right? Like what should a facilities manager or portfolio owner look at? So, and please remember the, uh, the angle that I come from is not being an insurance broker because I'm not an insurance broker. It's when something happens under the policy, uh, how does the owner maximize what they recover? And so the answer is, is that, you know, once, uh, the facilities suffer some problem, whether it's a massive hailstorm or a big flood uh, or a fire, you really need to have someone in your corner who knows what the coverage is. Regular lawyers don't know insurance. Um, you know, I happen to have an advanced degree in insurance law also. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really a nerd. But <laughs> you, you need someone in your corner no matter where you are because do you think the insurance company stays in business by paying the maximum amount the first time you ask them? Well, the answer is no, and I think everybody uh, intrinsically understands that. So most policies across the United States cover what's known as all risk of physical loss. And what that means is if there is a physical loss to any part of the property, the insurance company has to pay to remove and replace it. Don't get lured into the, we're going to dry this area out rigmarole, because that is not a proper approach under the policy. Uh, you know, don't get roped into... Well, you can file a supplemental claim. Uh, there's no such thing as a supplemental claim. They're just waiting for you to come back to them. It's important to remember that under almost every state's insurance law, it's the insurance company's job, it's their duty to scope the loss and issue a check. You don't have to go out and get estimates for them. Please don't do that. You're doing their work for them. Make them earn their money and make them do their job. And so those are some tips for when uh, an institutional owner has a loss, that's a covered loss, you know, uh, all those things are really important to understand. Make the insurance company do their job. Make them send you their estimate. Do not go out and get an estimate from a general contractor. And I guess starting from the get-go, right, when you're making this purchase of a policy, 
I mean, personally, when I've gone through insurance policies, I mean, it just, it seems like Spanish to me, right? Where I have no idea where to begin. It doesn't make sense. And I mean, what are things that, you know, very basic that you should be on the lookout for that you are no doubt you need to have this in your policy? Well, uh, you know, fire, um, you know, any risk of physical loss that can impair the building or its function. That's mainly what you need to look for. Uh, and, there, and there's another thing that people got, get caught, got, uh, caught up in a little bit, and that is if a building is new and there's a construction defect, a construction defect is not covered by a policy of insurance. So, for example, uh, if the windows leak right after construction or a short time after, that's a construction defect. And so you need to look to the general contractor or the design professional for recovery for that damage. The insurance company won't pay for that and they shouldn't have to. Uh, and so that's one thing a lot of institutional owners uh, need to understand uh, to maximize what they get. But, you know, most policies sold to, to facilities owners are the same. Mm -hmm. Most are the same. There's fire, you know, there's wind, there's water, uh, flood, which is extra, of course. And so, you know, it's, it's almost a commodity. Uh, always get a couple quotes. Uh, you know, a lot of times people like to go with the, the broker whose buddy sits on the board of directors for the school, and, and that can be fine. Uh, but, you know, get a couple competing quotes and, uh, you know, make them compete against each other. After all, uh, isn't that what our system's all about? Uh, getting the best yeah. price for the uh, best coverage for the lowest price? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you bring up an interesting point there, and it's a good segue into construction quality audits, because it sounds like if that is an unknown gap in a lot of circumstances, I mean, there's things that you could do on the front end to make sure you don't you know, fall victim to this. That's right, Griffin. And, you know, just as a reminder, it's a free download at my website uh, at uh, law. Free download, as many copies as you want, as many as your Wi-Fi can handle. But a construction quality audit really doesn't have anything to do with insurance. When you finish a, a, uh, a facility and have paid hundreds of millions of dollars for it, you know, I don't care if you're a, a building a, a lecture hall for a law school or a hospital, you need to have a third party uh, recommended by a, a construction expert do a quality audit. Do not let anyone affiliated with the general contractor or the design professionals do an audit. Do not let that happen because the quality audit is designed to test the uh, limits or the, uh, uh, the systems for compliance with the contract documents. For example, the problems we identify uh, in construction uh, defect cases include window systems, wall systems, uh, roof systems, grading and drainage systems. Those need to be checked by somebody who's not the general contractor. You know, I can't tell you how many times facilities owners even big ones that I've represented, they just kind of take what the general contractor gives them. And, you know, they just, sometimes they just don't stand up for themselves. And, you know, nobody likes conflict. I can promise you, nobody likes conflict. Yep. And, uh, and you know, that's what it is. You, you need to stand up to the folks who have been paid, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes to build these places and say, hey, you know, you need to make this right. So the linchpin of the, of the quality audit, the way to get cost of repair is to access the liability insurance of the general contractor or the design professionals. That's the key. If you can access their liability insurance, that comes out of a different pocket than their balance sheet. And one of the things our firm does is we help unlock access 
to the liability insurance that, frankly, the owner's already paid for. When the owner pays $200 million, part of that money goes for the liability insurance of the general contractor. And so by not accessing that, you know, it's kind of like paying into Social Security for 50 years. And when it's time for you to get paid back, you say, no, thanks. <laughs> I mean, does that sound like a wise business decision to you? <laughs> right, right. And I guess on that, I mean, what are some common, I mean, you mentioned Windows being uh, a couple of times. What are some other common defects that you should be on the lookout for? So the, the defects that are easy to spot for anyone that runs a facility include uh, HVAC imbalance. Uh, you know, sometimes it's tough for the mechanical engineers to properly design the mechanical system. Sometimes their calculations are off. Uh, sometimes the system is not installed, fabricated or installed properly. And so that's that's the biggest thing we see on our quality audits. Um, you know, the next big the big hits I call them are uh, uh, HVAC too hot, too cold, um, moisture forming on the windows. That's a huge problem, especially in healthcare facilities. You just can't have that. Mm -hmm. And uh, roof to wall issues, uh, roof leaks, uh, and then grading and drainage issues. You know, those are the big systems that we find issues with and that we've been able to recover costs to repair for institutional owners for. So that way they don't have to spend so much money over the years on maintenance mm -hmm. uh, or, or on trying to patch or put a Band-Aid on a system that just was, was turned over to them that just doesn't function like it was promised. Right. Is there a time, a deadline or a time frame where you need to, to submit these uh, defects that you identify? There is. There is. And every state's different. Some states have a longer time. Some states have a shorter time. Um, and it's, it's really fact dependent. Um, you know, people can email me with their specific state if they'd like at mgravely mm -hmm. at gravely.law. I'm happen, happy to let them know what the deadlines are. But the deadlines really include breach of contract. And some states, it's five years. Other states, it's two years. Some states, it's seven years. Uh, but mainly, you know, the concept is you have to be diligent about protecting your investment and protecting your rights to recover, cost to repair. And that's really what it all comes down to. The general counsel uh, of the facility or one of the lawyers in the legal department should be able to tell you what your deadline is. And if you don't know it, shoot me an email. I'm happy to talk to you about it. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. And that last thing you want to do is, you know, be listening in and realize that, you know, we're coming up on that deadline. We have crunch time to to knock these out. And at you know at the same time, this is something where it's best practices across the board. We need to have this done. So the big thing to remember for any facilities owner or manager uh, is you just have to be diligent. Um, and you know, it's always important that you work with a general contractor or design professionals to try to make it right. But you know, you have to give them a deadline. And get a scope from them. When there's a promise to an owner uh, on a project that someone's going to make it right, have them send you, email you a scope of work they propose and a time by which they're going to finish it. Uh, that way, everybody understands exactly what's going on. And there's none of this soft promise about we'll get to it and I, I promise we'll come back because uh, I've seen owners good guide into passing the statute date. And you know what I mean by being good guide into it? I don't. Clarify. Uh, well, well, here's what it means. Oh, you know, we're busy on something else, or we'll have to get to it next year, or uh, I'm out of budget for this, or here's another one. You're out of warranty. Uh, and remember, people don't like uh, conflict, and most facilities owners, you know, they're in the business of education or, uh, you know, industry. They're not contractors. They're not architects or engineers or 
you know, mechanical or otherwise. And so, you know, just get a scope. If, if the contractor's going to finish, say they're going to finish, get a scope of work uh, and get a time by which they'll be finished. That's certainly not something that's unreasonable to ask for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your point, to drive it home, get it in writing. Have to get that in writing and hold that just helps you hold people accountable and make sure expectations are set from the get go. Um, because that's right. I mean, that's, that's step one into managing this process. But, uh, I guess going on from the, the actual construction and the handoff here into, uh, the actual ongoing maintenance, uh, that a facilities manager is going to be performing. A lot of people fall behind. There's preventative maintenance, best practices that we've talked to on the show countless times, but, uh, the, the, it's always a fear of what could happen. And I want to talk to you like the actual true cost impact of deferred maintenance. So, uh, and you know, each system has different types of maintenance, but I can tell you this, if a system is not installed properly to begin with, an owner can never hope to maintain it properly, ever. And so, you know, a lot of times a facilities owner will have a question from a general contractor, you know, what have you done to this system? Well, the answer is nothing. We, you've given it to us and it doesn't work. A duty to maintain is not the same as a duty to fix or repair. Maintenance doesn't mean repair. It means to, it means to uh, maintain or to, uh, you know, to keep it up over time as best you can. Now, ultimately when something breaks, you'll have to repair it, but to maintain means to hold steady, to hold in the same state as you were given it. And so a lot of contractors like to conflate repair and maintenance uh, principles. Uh, facilities owners don't fall for it. So that's the first thing. If you're not given a system that is capable of being maintained, you can never hope to maintain it, and you're always playing catch-up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the second principles as far as facilities owners go is if it's a, a system that's a special system, uh, for example, a software design or a software-run uh, HVAC system, it's up to the contractor to teach you how to properly maintain it. Uh, you know, nobody walks into a job uh, knowing how to maintain, you know, the, the state-of-the-art uh, software for an HVAC system. Some of them are even run remotely from the general, from the uh, uh, air conditioning company, like Train or something. And so proper training that the, the experts give the uh, facilities maintenance folks uh, and uh, building engineers is very important. Otherwise, uh, you know, roofs need to be replaced from time to time, of course, uh, so windows need to be cleaned. Uh, you know, debris needs to be kept away from buildings. Uh, you shouldn't let water pool in or around buildings or next to buildings. You know, that's the typical maintenance stuff when I think of maintenance that needs to be done. Yeah, I love the distinction between maintenance and repairs because we see that time and time again where, you know, it, yeah. it, they just run the piece of equipment or their assets into the ground and they call it maintenance. But in reality, they are repairing and that shouldn't be the case. You should maintain it to make sure it's performing or at least exceeding the baseline of what you need there. And I guess last question I had for you, Mark. I think there's a lot of people that may not understand if there is an actual case that they could pursue. Uh, how do you know and what exactly can you do to, to best educate yourself on if you do have a case that you should pursue? Well, you know, and I hate to, I hate to say this, but you need to call somebody that knows what they're doing. You can't call a regular lawyer uh, or a general practice lawyer. You need to call a lawyer that's a, a real expert, that's a real hard-hitting expert in the area. You know, maybe there's one in your area. 
an, a lawyer who's an expert with insurance law in, in the event of a, a, a big insurance loss, or a lawyer w- with experience recovering cost repair for facilities owners. You know, somebody that's really that really understands the nuances. Let me give you an example. Uh, if you're having heart problems, you would never go to a chiropractor, would you? Right. I mean, that sounds silly to say, right? Well, you know, what happens too is a lot of facilities, uh, uh, maintenance issue or facilities issues end up going to the general counsel's office who don't want to have to outsource it because it costs them money. And so, you know, is your general counsel a construction expert or an insurance expert? The answer is almost always no. And so I get calls all the time from counsel's general you know, uh, across the nation uh, about problems they've got and about options they've got. Uh, and, you know, it's always no cost to talk to me. Um, you know, I talk to 15, 20 people a day sometimes uh, before I even work on a case. Yeah. Uh, and so, but the main thing is, is that if, you, if you're having specific issues, go to somebody that's handled them 100 times before and not to a chiropractor. <laughs> Love that. Well, uh, I lied to you. I do have one last question. And I ask everybody this. But who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? So I've got a mentor. Uh, his name is Dr. Bill Chris, uh, and he uh, taught me how to sue insurance companies and uh, patiently helped me early in my career. Uh, and I wouldn't be here where I am with without him. But uh, also in middle school, I had a middle school teacher named Miss Bobby Qualls, who didn't take my my loafing. Well, that that's great, and I mean it's it's always interesting asking that question of you know the impacts that people have, and I've gotten answers across the board. Uh, you know, significant others. How about you? Oh, I have not had that question. Um, I would say very easily that'd be my father. Um, I, he was always working. Um, I don't ever remember a time when. Uh, I was sitting inside doing nothing and he wasn't outside sweating in hundred degree temperatures and, you know, building a shack or mowing lawn or whatever it would be. And just very handy guy, always working and uh, entrepreneur himself. And so he really drove home the work ethic that I've had and, uh, having a, a positive impact on the people around you. I mean, I, you know, we're coming up on the holidays. I remember as an infant uh, or as a child going to St. Jude in, in Memphis and uh, dropping off gifts to the kids over there. And that was something that he took a lot of pride in and just, you know, being a good individual overall. And uh, Sounds like a great man. Yeah, no, uh, certainly he's had, had a big impact on me. So um, that for you're the first individual that's ever uh, asked me that. So kudos to you on that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for having me on and I hope your folks... Uh, you know, get some value out of this. Uh, you know, it's free to contact me, M. Gravely at gravely.law. Uh, Gravely PCs the firm. Um, happy to answer questions from anybody that has them, uh, no matter how small or large. Well, perfect. I'm going to have all that contact info and a link to the uh, website here in the show notes. But, Mark, thanks again for uh, coming on and be good. You too, man. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.